Tonight on the Commune Podcast, we're here to duke nukes and nuke dukes, but we're all out of nukes. This time we're playing Duke Nukem 3D. In Maryland right now, there's 17 year cicadas, which only okay. come every 17 years. And there's. So it's the 17th year? Oh, wow. Yeah. And there's a million of them. They're like everywhere. And, <laughs> um, they're large, and you hear the. During the daytime, it's evening now, but during the daytime, you just hear a like droning hum louder than anything else uh, outside. Yeah. I remember hearing them when I would play baseball and I'm like, what is the thing that makes that noise? And I would always see like their molted shells, but never the actual bugs themselves. Oh yeah. Like the whole parking lot a couple of days ago was covered in the molts. Yeah. They look gross. <laughs> they yeah. are a, a disgusting looking <laughs> bug. And I'm like, oh my God, these things are. They're really big. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're big and they, they're even uglier than co some cockroaches. Anyway, on the subject of Duke Nukem, we've been playing a lot of FPS games, so one of the things that I want to look at is what gives Duke its identity among others in the genre. So Duke, a little bit of history, is that Duke was made in the same year as Quake. I think it believe I believe it came out a few months before it, right? Duke was released in January of 1996. Quake was released in June of 1996, I believe, or July. Okay, so yeah, just a, a few months before Quake, so... You could call it... I, 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 Sorry, not to step on you, but I think you could call it the swan song of the 2.5D uh, first-person shooter. Thank you, because I, I was looking for a way to say that it, it, it's, it's marking the end of the 2.5D shooter and the where Quake is beginning the early 3D era of shooters. One of the topics that we had in previous podcasts, with, which was where we used Marathon, which may not have been the best game to do this with, was with Vertical Aiming. Uh, and I think Duke probably would have been the better game to do that with. Duke is certainly um, more of the standard reference point, I think, for people to... or for when the... Vertical aiming came to be an expected element of the first-person shooter. Marathon was more like um, an outlier in that it was two years ahead of everyone else. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right. I think uh, what's prominent is that even the basic enemy, the assault trooper, uh, has a jetpack that it could, some of them can take off to the air and then shoot at you. So those enemies in particular can stress uh, the vertical aiming as well as just enemies being perched on higher platforms, the usual. Take an example in the first level in the theater. If you go in through the front, you'll see one from that will shoot at you from the projector room. Example of the vertical aiming right there. I think that every enemy in the game has some way to be airborne. Right, if we're counting the airborne enemies, which is a lot higher than marathons, you have assault troopers can take to the skies, uh, besides the fact that enemies can just be perched on higher parts of the level, kind of like they were in Doom, but without the auto-aiming. I mean, Duke does have auto-aiming, but you know you can turn that shit off. You have the protozoid slimes, which can hop from floor to ceiling. They actually stress you aiming lower. 
you have drones. The I forgot what the fat ones are. They they don't have a assault commander. Assault commander, right? Trooper commander. Got it. <laughs> I'm gonna forget that in like <laughs> the next twenty minutes. You have the assault commanders, and you have the octobrains. So right there, that's that's several more uh, flying enemies compared to marathon. Recon patrol vehicle as well. That's right, and those are some of the most mobile uh, of the of the flying enemies. And drones? Did you mention drones? Yeah. Okay. Drones are funny, and they get into one of the topics, and one of the more interesting things that I think you brought up with Duke was the weapon and enemy design. And yes, both of them together are not necessarily individually, which is drones in specific are programmed to dodge projectiles. So one of your most effective weapons, your rocket launcher and even the Devastator, the drones are specifically programmed to move out of the way, which is not a normal enemy AI behavior we've seen, certainly not in Doom, and certainly not even with the rest of the Duke enemies. They're not... An assault trooper will still walk towards you even if you're shooting at it, but these guys, if they see something coming at them, they'll move out of the way. Yeah, um, so the... Well, I think that they try to dodge any projectile weapon. I'm not... The thing is, I don't ever use the freeze thrower against a drone because it doesn't really... It's not very effective. Um, It literally doesn't do anything. And... Given that it's rapid fire, it'd be hard to gauge anyway. But yeah, I mean, they noticeably dodge projectile weapons because essentially in Duke, uh, what's, I mean, Duke has projectile and hit scan weapons just like Doom does, but hit scan weapons don't create an object in the world, whereas projectile weapons do. And so the enemies respond both to Duke and to the projectiles. So any sort of player created object gets its own specific rules. Um, just like the player character itself. Mm-hmm. And that takes the form of the, the dodging that the enemies try to do. Right. And what are, what are some other of the enemies that have like a, a special relationship to the, to the weapons? The octobrains uh, can be easily dispensed with the, the devastator weapon. Oh, right, right. Yeah. They're, I don't remember if we looked at the exact damage numbers because I know the the rocket launcher will take them out in one hit. Um, yeah, but um, I think with the devastator in particular is that just like just basically scraping or grazing with the devastator on an octobrain will just instantly destroy it. Yeah, I think it'll die in a specific way. It's hard to right. tell with the rocket launcher because it does so much damage if you land a direct hit, but the Devastator does about 40 base damage, which the Octobrain, its normal health should be able to tank it because it's one of the beefier enemies in the game, but no, it just pops like a balloon. So that is Shady, do, do you think that's intentional, Shadi? Um, I don't know. I can't imagine any um sort of like a collision bug that would make it happen. See why it wouldn't be intentional. It just seems like an odd interaction, though. Like, why would the Devastator always be a one-hit kill against the Octobrain? Mm-hmm. Do you think it improves the game, though, that it that, that works? Because I feel like Octobrains, when you don't have the Devastator, are pretty threatening. 
but um, then the game seems to overuse them a lot later, and so you really want to have the depth. I think raw meat would be a good example of a map that has a lot of octobrains but no devastator, and they're a huge pain there. <laughs> yeah. I guess the Devastator being a rare weapon would make uh, off the brains in particular. Uh, I guess a treat to kill if you have it on you and you have enough ammo for it. Well, yeah, it forms this weird relationship between them, though, where it's like I I save the Devastator for when I see Octobrains, and then I end up not using it that much. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the Devastator isn't that great against anything else. I I guess I'll use it on the boss type enemies like the Overlord or Battle Lord. Um, um Yeah, yeah. But other than that, I don't the Devastator is kind of dangerous to use, especially against something like an enforcer which will just uh blast it uh, towards you. <laughs> Another oddity of it, yeah. Um, it has so, knockback, but it's more like a knock forward. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the knock forward thing. Um, and it'll, but that's a lot of interesting interactions just for the Devastator. Um, one, drones will dodge it. Two, enforcers. I think the knock forward happens. Hmm. I was going to say I think it happens only on airborne enemies, but I'm not actually sure that's true. Um, mm. Just do jump around a lot, so maybe that's what they're doing. And assault commanders were one I noticed it on a lot. Um, so they get knocked forward too. Yeah, because um, in particular, if you use the rocket launcher against them, it seems to happen a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember now. Um. So there's yeah, so there's knock forward. There's drones dodging it. There's one hit against the octobrain. But then it's your it's also your highest DPS weapon. I think it's the last weapon you get in the game and sort of supposed to be I have the sense it's supposed to be like the ultimate weapon in the game. Yeah, it seems yeah. the closest thing you have to a, a BFG, but a bit more toned down. Right. Right, whereas the plasma gun to BFG is a pretty big leap in power. Like there's a gap. And I mean, that even is more so in later Doom games, but um, then, like, the Devastator is not that much better than... But is its DPS a lot better than the Rocket Launcher? It's got to be the highest DPS, right? It's hard. Yeah. It's, it's just unwieldy because of the knock forward, and it's, I guess that's just it. Well, the scatter, too, though, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, it does I, scatter. I would say that as well because the Devastator is is forty, but the rocket launcher, if you nail every direct hit, is mm -hmm. is two eighty. So that's why I think really the direct hit, yeah. the rocket launcher might actually be in terms of DPS, and you're real close, of course. It's, it, mm. it depends is is the short answer. <laughs> But, but it's, get... it's a tie between those two, Rocket Launcher and Devastator. All right, wait, let me get out my calculator for one second. And then 280 times. Okay, so you're, but this to me is a big difference. Uh, just to get into the nitty gritty when you're looking at the damage numbers. Um, your max ammo capacity for the 
RPG is 50, right? Right. Okay, and your max ammo capacity for the Devastator is 99. And as you said, 280 damage for the RPG, 40 damage for the um, Devastator. So the the total damage capacity of a full load of rocket ammo is 14,000. The total damage capacity of a full load of Devastator ammo is only 4,000. So you're carrying around way more damage in rockets than you're carrying around in Devastator missiles. Yeah, so yeah, so presuming direct hits, that would be the case. Otherwise, right, right. even if you cut it in half though, it's still that more. Would, it's, it's still, still a lot more. more. <laughs> and then that's that's also assuming the devastators scattered didn't miss any. Wait. It's Right, right. Is it, it is. Is it two If you click it once, it fires those two projectiles, but that does that count as one point of ammo? That's two. It counts as two. It counts as two? Okay, so it does mm. count each projectile for ammo usage. Okay. And also, a rocket launcher explosion can hit multiple enemies at once. A devastator explosion, I think, just hits what it hits. I thought the I devastator explosion was just smaller, but it still uh, has. Okay. Okay. What's the it's... rate of fire for each weapon? Yeah, that's what I don't really know. I, um, I, I don't know that either. That wasn't on the Duke wiki. I would guess you can probably get off four to eight Devastator missiles in the same time as one RPG. Probably only four. The RPG does shoot pretty fast. As far as uh, as weapon power, um, yeah, it looks like the Devastator and our, the rock, RPG are like the two most powerful. Mm. Although if we are still thinking of like uh, another form of power, which is getting to the shrink ray and expander, those can help you one hit enemies, even if technically they don't do any damage. Well, yeah, we were talking kind of about special enemy interactions, and so the shrinker is like, um, that just has a specific rule for each enemy, right? Like, yeah, there's there's no generalized effect of it. It either works or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And when you're not using the uh, the janky auto-aim <laughs> and you remember to shoot at their feet, uh, it allows you to take out and really, well, yeah, I guess you could say trivialize uh, a lot of the enemies in the game, which, uh, given some of these enemies, it's like, uh, yeah, uh, I don't enjoy fighting the battle, the battle lord sentries. So. Well. I think you do literally tri trivialize them in the sense that you turn it into a tiny enemy that no longer does whatever the normal enemy did, I think. But actually, I maybe they do technically still shoot you. Oh, they can't. They're useless. When they're yeah. They're no? useless. Okay. All the, right. So, yeah. The, uh, the recon vehicle, the tank, and the drones are immune to the shrink ray. So those are the only enemies that you can't use at all. And um, I guess it goes without saying, but the Overlord and the Cycloid Emperor as well. Right. Bosses. Uh, all boss enemies. Yeah. Boss uh, version of the Battlelord. Wait, what about... Uh, Shadow, you played Alien World Order. I know, Adrian, you didn't, but um, this isn't really a spoiler. This is just... Um, it's dumb. Well, it's not dumb, but it's just a thing. Like, you could guess this from a mile away. 
there are many overlords and many cycloid I think many cycloid emperors. Yes, right. In Alien World Order, uh, are those shrinkable? I haven't tried. I assume they are. So you kill them. Do you fight battle lords without many battle lords without the shrinker? Yeah. Wait, really? Why? <laughs> mm, I'm not really good at aiming at their feet. Okay. Yeah, I was actually I was also gonna ask whether you do the to what extent you do the foot trick with the shrinker. No, it's it's, it's just as hit or miss as I was just fighting them normally. Okay. Always aiming at you and firing. Right. <laughs> no, I do it a lot. Uh, I like using the shrinker, and it's one of those things where I actually think it adds to it a little bit that you have to aim at their feet. Like, it doesn't add to it that this is an arbitrary um, evolution of the build engine that it's not intentional and therefore it's not entirely predictable. It's certainly not transparent and it's nothing the game ever mentions to you as part of the game. Um, but it's consistent enough that shooting at their feet uh, works or at least works better than shooting them in the body that it does feel like a headshot when you get it. Um like, it's a little bit harder to do. You got to take your aim off of necessarily where you would be shooting anyway. But um, the shrinker is a really powerful weapon. And so putting that little extra challenge into using it, I think, balances it out a little bit. Whereas if every center mass hit was predictably going to be a shrink, I feel like that would be too overpowered and would bore me. If I was to say one effect of uh, another weapon that I thought uh, ended up being a lot more fun uh, than I would have expected, it's the expander. It's not... You have to focus on the enemy a bit more than the shrinker, so there is that trade-off. And you might think, oh, it does the same thing. It basically, you know, kills the enemy once you meet its threshold. But... Right. What's also interesting is that it kind of, it turns them into a bomb. I think that's all it does. Yeah, but to me that's that's just that's just kind of cool because like it's it's that additional effect of uh, I don't just destroy you, but I also hurt the enemies around you. Uh, well, it's hard yeah. to use the expander on larger, more powerful enemies because it doesn't deal that much damage. Uh, but if you can use it on smaller enemies like uh, pig cops or uh, assault troopers. You turn them into bombs, which that'll take out a whole group if they're bunched up. Yeah. What just the. Yeah, go on. I was gonna say just just the the bombs in general in Duke are very unique compared to uh, Doom, and I mean yeah, there's the 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 grenade launcher in Quake, but you know that won't come out until a few months later. But man, the pipe bomb is such a cool. <laughs> It's, it's probably one of my favorite weapons in the game. It's certainly one of the, the things that uh, distinguishes Duke from other shooters, or at least for so, me anyways. To stick with the expander for one more second. Okay. Um. So when you... Uh, I didn't experiment with the expander a lot. It didn't seem like you get a lot of ammo for it, really. And this is an only Act 4 or Episode 4 weapon. Mm -hmm. So you don't see it in the main game anyway. 
Um, but is turning an enemy into a bomb really any different than shooting an enemy with a bomb or an explosion? Like, okay, so if I use the expander and I shoot him five times and the fifth time he crosses the threshold, he uh, turns into the giant version and he explodes, then that's an explosion at the point of an enemy at, at simultaneously with killing that enemy. And it can hit enemies around him. Um, but then if you shoot that enemy with an RPG, it kills him. It makes an explosion at the point of the enemy and it hits enemies around him. So it seems like it's the exact same thing. The expander just draws it out. So you have to hit them like five times to get the explosion. Mm -hmm. So there's... Uh, there's also just that that little bit of a uh, extra timer from the enemy inflating before explosion, whereas the explosion of the RPGs upon impact. Yeah, but, there is a slight delay to it. Yeah, so that's that is about it. Um, so yeah, there there's there's some uh, overlap with the RPG and the, with that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't find that Duke enemies group up all that much. So, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just that when they do, I'm so programmed to use the RPG that the idea of switching to the expander is never what I go to. Yeah. I mean, when you're not in a tight quarters anyways, and they're not too close, the RPG is, is incredibly useful. It's pretty much your, your one of your best crowd control weapons. I guess one slight difference, though, of the expander is that that timer, or, I mean, a, an effect of that timer before the enemy blows up is that you can't blow yourself up with the expander, really. Right. The expander is, I mean, obviously, you're, if you're too close to the enemy when it blows up, then, of course, that's on you. Right. You can't, like, uh, it, it's not what sometimes would happen to me where Duke runs out of ammo for his shotgun, he switches to his explosives, and then... I uh, end up blowing myself because I'm trying to kill, uh, you know, a pig cop that's right in front of me. Yeah. That's... Yeah, Duke's, Duke's weapon switching algorithm <laughs> isn't an algorithm. Doesn't deserve that name. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, with uh, with Quake, they made it so that you didn't do that. So I'm like, oh, no, Doom you. Doom does that. Wait, oh, right, right. I'm sorry. I, I credited the wrong game. <laughs> Doom is the one that does that. What the yeah. hell? Um, yeah, I don't know if they just, they may just not have really thought about it when they were making Duke. I don't know. Well, uh, that's, that's also, um, I guess I'll, I'll move to the point on talking about enemies and crowds. Part of the, because you know, try, I'm trying to just balance uh, weapon and enemy design at the same time right now. Mm. But one of the things in about the enemies in Duke that certainly makes it distinct from all of the shootouts that you'll have in Doom or Quake or Marathon is that the enemies shoot a lot faster. <laughs> uh, the basic assault trooper shoots a projectile that's faster than. Uh, a Baron of Hell's projectile and Doom for com for a comparison. With Baron of Hell being the fastest projectile in Doom, I think no, second fastest. I think it's the second fastest. I believe third. 
rocket is faster, I think. Right. But uh, all I know is that the, the basic enemy has a, a fast projectile, and it's kind of fast to the point where if you start moving upon noticing it, you, depending on the distance anyways, you might not actually mm. have enough time to get out of the way, so it almost, not totally, but almost works like a hit scan in some instances. Well, yeah, um... We don't see a whole lot of frames worth of it. So you don't really see it for very long. Right. There's a, a a fidelity issue, you could say, there, too, where, you know, because you're you're drawing sprites, um, it has to become a certain size before it's even drawn on the screen. Mm. And sometimes the distance it travels upon it being spawned in, yeah... Does any enemy in Quake have a really fast projectile? Uh, none that are that fast. Right. Fast projectiles. Which ones? Oh no! Wait. What about the uh, the uh, troopers? The troopers. The troopers what? in Quake are hit. Oh wait, wait. The, I know which one. Oh, the, the lasers. That, yeah. The laser guys. Yeah. I don't think they were that fast. I always thought they were avoid. I thought they were, yeah, more avoidable than, of course, the shotgunners in that. Oh, the grunt is what I'm thinking of. <laughs> grunt? Okay. Um, I don't actually remember. I would have said it was, I would have said closer to Duke than it is to Imps in Doom, but uh, it's been a little while. But either way, that's like a, that's the one and only if it isn't Quake. Yeah, they're not common. Um, the, I guess in Quake, that's the multiplayer dodging like nail guns and rockets, which are your main projectiles to deal with. So yeah, the um, I think the turrets in particular emphasize how annoying those fast projectiles are, oh, because yeah. uh, the level design likes to place. I would call this Alan Bloom's signature is when you walk into a room, there's two turrets on the other side of you shooting at you. Um, so it's like, you don't have time to see them. You don't, they're shooting at you is your notice that they're there basically. And yeah. then you've just got to blindly dodge. It's kind of like if, um, it's kind of like when a lost soul charges at you from a distance you couldn't hear it. And then mm. you just notice this fast-moving thing coming at you. <laughs> Although sometimes I think they're even faster than a lost soul's charge. Those projectiles in Duke, anyways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But and... Are they... They do seem kind of small, though. So you don't have to move very far to dodge one, I don't think. Yeah. It's a lot bigger. Right. If you're already moving, you'll you'll definitely you'll definitely dodge them for sure. And uh, if you see it in time and begin moving, then yeah, you can get out of the way. Yeah, I guess it's the already moving thing that makes it. Um, we talked about this, uh, but um, the already moving thing makes it different than hit scan because with hit scan, that's just position base so it's determined at the time of the attack which is the same time at which the um 
attack is resolved. Like it's the same frame or one frame or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas the projectiles do take some arbitrarily small amount of time, but a long enough amount of time that if Duke is in persistent motion, then the projectile will never hit him because the enemy doesn't lead their shots. Yeah. So if I was to draw another distinction between, uh, like how how is Duke different from you know Doom in its weapon and enemies well when you look at the weapons it's like okay pist well actually that pist that pistol's good <laughs> or at least it's decent because it fires way faster than the one in uh doom although every bullet is random so when you're trying to hit a switch uh like in fusion station it's kind of annoying yeah <laughs> but uh, someone has to reload every once in a while that too, That's it's, right. It's a it's a reloading gun, uh, the only one in the game, but you know different than the one in uh, Doom. But you know you got your pistol, your shotgun, your rocket launcher, your uh, the chain gun is basically the yeah right yeah they're both chain guns. Uh, so you have a lot of weapons that are very similar, um, and right. it isn't until you get to say the Devastator the pipe bombs and the laser trip wires and the freezer that you see some of the more unique weapons of Duke uh, probably the most prominent and effective ones is is that pipe bomb and that one really distinguishes Duke from uh, Doom and the rest of your arsenal. One thing I will say about the similar weapons is that the rocket launcher in particular, um, I think being able to aim vertically almost completely changes that as a weapon because uh, being able to hit terrain and aim at terrain with your shots or shoot at an enemy's feet mm-hmm. versus trying to shoot at an enemy in the air is all very different than the way you use the rocket launcher in Doom, um, which mostly has to be targeted directly at enemies. Um it's a, it's a big projectile in Doom, so you can't really do anything tricky with it on top of the fact that you can't aim up and down. So, like, the RPG feels new to me. Like, I I feel like the rocket launcher is a, almost a hindrance in Doom, whereas the RPG is great in Duke. That's, like, my go-to weapon, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you can lead your shots because you can aim vertically. Right, like, right. on auto aim and doom. Yeah, so that changes projectiles in general that you can lead shots on vertical targets. And um, the uh, another way where it feels different is you don't have the infinitely tall hitbox of the explosions. <laughs> I remember seeing that in uh, Destiny's video. Mm. So, uh, you know, the explosion is more 3D accurate, for lack of better phrasing. Yeah, it's something that you can place with more precision. Yeah. Still not that well visualized, but we've kind of... I think... I've accepted long ago that explosions are just going to be something you have to kind of feel out in terms of size. And the the Duke Nukem wiki kind of confirms it because when I looked at the explosion radiuses of the laser trip wire versus the pipe bomb, and it's like, yes, they are all different, even though they may use similar looking sprites. So 
jams the brakes. It is what it is. It looks weird. Um, certainly result in many ridiculous moments for me where I'm like counting tiles and I'm like, I can't believe that explosion. Or else, it's, yeah, like the explosion of uh, the pig tank when you uh, push the button and it blows up. And I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. That's insane, that one. Yeah. Yeah. It was like four tile, four by three tiles, and I remember I'm like doing Pythagorean theorem on it just to see how <laughs> big that shit was. Uh, it is a house. <laughs> it's a, it's a little mini nuke there. <laughs> I guess it does have the symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's nuclear powered. Yeah. <laughs> the. The freeze one, I was actually surprised at how useful. Well, personally, I, f- I found that weapon to be quite useful. The freeze thrower. Yeah, the, I keep I keep wanting to say freezer, and I, know, and I know it's like that's not what it is, but it's freeze thrower. Mm. It's, I I think with weapons, it's one of those things where like you just have in your mind what the name of it is because they're they're all generic types, you know. So it's like. Oh, technically, it's the RPG, not the rocket launcher in Duke, but, like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> in, in particular, the property, I mean, it, it's, when you, you can kind of think of it as just, like, another, a projectile uh, chain gun or machine gun because it shoots right. really fast, but it produces a projectile instead of being hit scanned. Right. Although, one of the other major properties is that it reflects all surfaces if it doesn't hit an enemy. Yeah, why though? Why would a freeze projectile bounce off of a wall? I don't know, but it led to some pretty cool, <laughs> pretty cool shenanigans that you could do with it. So I appreciated it for that, mm-hmm. if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Having a, a bouncy projectile that you can shoot. Yeah. If, well, I mean, the rapid fire projectile is like the plasma gun, but then it freezes and, like you said, it reflects. Mm-hmm. Freezing isn't really a strength, though. Right. The freeze effect is not particularly effective because it's by the time the enemy dies, and at that point, right. it's it's <laughs> all it does is just take up space. It can actually potentially block you, which that's normally the trade-off you make with the freezing weapon, but it happens at the point when it's already dead. So you can't, like, freeze an enemy where it still has health, deal with other enemies around you, and then, you know, deal with it again. Right. It's, it's like, this is an all... It's like a, a, if one of the corpses in Duke could actually, like, block your path. You kind of are prolonging their life by freezing them. Because <laughs> the freeze thrower can't kill them when they're frozen. And That's right. if they defreeze, they come back to life. Yeah. <sighs> All right, this is I'm giving myself one of these. Uh, I'm not going to do it again. In Hexen, you can freeze enemies. Um, and in Hexen, when a frozen enemy unfreezes or when they reach that like thawing timer, they die. They don't come back to life. Mm. Um, and that makes a huge, huge difference in how useful it is to freeze stuff. Because it's like, I can freeze a bunch of enemies and then walk away, and they're all dead. I don't need to shatter them. Whereas in Duke, uh, shattering them is part of using the weapon. Like, you need to follow it up by shattering them, because that enemy is going to come back to life otherwise. Also use the frozen enemies as a shield. 
in Hexen. Especially if they're being attacked by their own kind, because a projectile from their uh, from the same enemy won't dam damage them, so they won't shatter. And so you've got a meat shield for the time being. Yeah, I was I was thinking that that was more of like the spacing in Hexen. That Hexen in the Doom Engine has like big stuff, or uh, projectiles aren't good at slipping by. I don't know if in Doom I would think technically you can use it for as an enemy as a shield. I mean, they can they can absorb a rocket for you. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. This is speculative. It's not something that I've actually ever pulled off or anything. Well, you can move them in Hexen, so that's another thing. Like being able to push, yeah, it's fun. push oh, around the frozen guys. Damn, that sounds cool. I know, but I'm. That's enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in Duke, yeah. So in Duke, you can freeze them, but they they can unfreeze to where they're <clears throat> just still barely alive. Yeah. And uh, it's that it's utility in that aspect. Uh, I don't know. I, I found it useful, really useful in some instances, and not so much well, in others. I think it's cool to use. Whether that's a utility or disutility, I think is a little bit irrelevant to the fact that it does change the way you use the weapon. The fact that it freezes an enemy instead of, uh, or and that they need to be finished. It's sort of like in. Um, like needing to do a finishing move on the enemy like yeah. you set them up make them vulnerable and then that's where the quick kick button you get all your mileage out of that uh not having to switch weapons to shatter an enemy yeah you don't automatically kick the enemy oh wait you do you're right next okay. to the frozen dude yeah you're right i forgot so yeah he you don't even need the quick butt kick yeah. So that's just like the um, just like when you shrink an enemy, it's a similar interaction there where uh, Duke then needs to run up to the enemy and finish them off, or they will unshrink on their own and still be alive. unique weapons besides the freeze thrower was the laser tripwire but unlike the freeze thrower that one was uh, much more of well i i just didn't use it that much because it was it was just too it's really challenging trying to get 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 any mileage out of it the laser tripwire is interesting um it you know it sets up a line in the environment that if something crosses it it detonates um did we figure out where the explosion the explosion comes from the bomb on the wall, right? Right. Yeah, that part that part is true and I remembered it because in the train level I would there's one that has like an extra long uh line and if you specifically set it off at the far end for from the furthest point away from it, you won't get hurt by it. Okay. Um it, So yeah, I mean that makes sense then. It, it would be weird if the laser was where the explosion started. Yeah, and I I, I can kind of understand the reasoning be, behind why the explosion is so big, because if you have, you know, be, to, to 
Make it so that there's some grace period so that the enemy doesn't have to be right next to the wall as they're walking towards you to set it off. Right. But, uh, you know, then it, that I, what I just described right there is some of the issue in trying to make it useful, which is finding a wall that an enemy can walk past, but they're not too far enough away from it, where it's also not just simpler to just shoot them. And, uh, you know, the enemies are coming for... Well, if you can find a scenario where you can set up the bombs before you trigger the encounter, and then you can lead the enemies into bombs that you've already set up, that's kind of like the the best way that you can make use of the tripwires, or at least that's um, what I've generally found to be the case. Um, a lot of times, though, that means you need to know the level in advance. So it's like, that's more of a secondary strategy. Um, I can think of one instance I use it quite satisfyingly is in the, um, in LA Rumble in episode three in the abortion clinic, when you, there's like an office and then a operation room. Um, and when you cross the threshold, you enter it through the office. And when you cross the threshold into the operation room, a bunch of enforcers spawn right behind you in the office. Uh, so that's an, uh, the sort of scenario where you set up a bunch of tripwire bombs in that room before you cross the threshold, knowing that the ambush is going to happen. And then you counter ambush them. But it requires having played the level before. Like the player can't set that up blind. Right. I remember I was able to set up one spontaneously in it's it's one of the episode three maps. I just can't remember mm. its name, but uh I remember you were there watching me. It was it was a moment that was probably like the greatest moment of just me running away from everything and then just shooting everything as I'm like just desperately trying to survive. It's like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm finding, I'm running into more enemies, but somehow I'm still surviving all of this. And I just jokingly put one on the wall and it got managed to kill some of them. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, uh, the going postal one where you have like your little bunker there. Although obviously I learned that after I died, but that was another really useful setup for it. Yeah, that's sort of seems like specifically set up for it. Um, I think needing to be close to the wall to set the tripwire bomb is also something that makes it a little harder to utilize. Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily running along the walls and certainly not facing towards the walls um, in combat normally. And uh, you know, in and of itself, that can be dangerous because Duke has lo has rocket base enemies. So if they're shooting rockets at you and they're hitting a wall because you're right next to a wall, then that's uh, explosions that are happening in your face. But on top of that, like facing towards the wall to do that action means you're turning away from the combat, which does just in general put you at risk. Yeah. It's it's a it's setup is much more difficult, but I do like the you know the idea of having a a more trap based yeah. weapon where you can actually use some of the traps that are used against you. Um, although it, it 
also show, goes to show like why the pipe bomb is more effective at doing the same thing because well one you can throw it and still keep your eyes on the action and two you control the detonation it is not dependent on the enemy you know setting off a laser because I know I ran into an issue where I set up the laser tripwire in the Hollywood uh, the Hollywood movie studio level in episode four I think and I That's remember episode three oh it's episode three my bad and I distinctly remember, I don't know what the AI of the pick cop is, but it just would not walk towards me. It would just like shoot, it pause and hold its ground and then shoot again. So whatever its AI was uh, for the pick cops, or at least in that one, it just wasn't taking the bait. Pipe Bomb wouldn't have that issue though. Do you have any sense of how that works? How the AI like follows you? No, I can't really say for sure how the AI is. I think I don't think they'll necessarily pursue you if you get out of their sight. But they're not. You know how, like in Doom, it's very predictable. Like even off screen, you can pretty much infer where the enemies are going to be following you. Yeah. You can't really do that in Duke. Oh, yeah. Like I said, um, monsters will kind of just. Uh, mill about if you're not in there. Yeah, there definitely is like a sense of like patrolling or milling or something. Yeah. Yeah, there's something weird with the the uh, the pathfinding there. Uh, where, and it's probably due to the the complexity of some of the some of the levels where it's you know. It's just it's just not as good as figuring it figuring its way around mm. corners like it would have been in uh, Doom. I didn't think about that, but actually, yeah, when you're talking about pathfinding, like uh, that influences the level design in the sense that if you make like a second route, if you have one room connected to a different room through a hallway, and Duke starts in one and the enemy starts in the other, and then you add in level design a second hallway connecting those two rooms that could substantially change what the ai behavior is going to be when it's trying to pathfind mm -hmm. uh i never really thought about that before yeah and that's what can make it seem like uh and even some levels like the the shopping mall one where enemies were still in the area that i had initially left them and they didn't exactly make any progress towards chasing me which enemy? Which level is the shopping mall? That's that's a episode four. Maybe it's better to describe it as a grocery store. Oh yeah, that the grocery oh, store. I, I should have said store. grocery store. I don't know why I said shopping mall. That was dumb. No, I I know why you said it because the map is called shopping bag. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What does yeah. that mean? <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. a reference. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, since I've already brought it up, the pipe bomb, uh, in comparison to the laser tripwire, mm. that one, man, uh, as a first as a trap weapon, incredibly effective. And one thing that's to me, uh, I think, gives it that edge over the grenade launcher in Quake, because you know it's very bouncy, it has that nice 3D arc, but the grenade launcher does, yeah, yeah. But it's just the fact that you can control the timing of the detonation. The mm -hmm. grenade launcher, you know, if you put it a certain way, 
you know, it kind of block, you can end up blocking off your own path, and you can have to wait for it to blow up. But the pipe bomb, if you put it somewhere stupid, you could just go over and pick it up. <laughs> yeah. N- not only do you control the detonation, but you can undo a bad throw by picking it up. Yeah. And of course, uh, this also goes to showcase the difference in the level design between uh, Duke and Doom, which are things like window areas. You know, when the enemy has the high ground, but it, you know it's more like a realistic w- window where there's like where it's like waist high. You can throw because it curves, you know, affected by gravity. You can throw into the window and blow it up. And I distinctly remember the one in the first map in episode two doing that against the enforcers. And it's like, yeah, you see that moment. It's like, oh, this is a great setup for a pipe bomb. And then it works out beautifully. Yeah, there are. Um, well, yeah, it, it it allows you to throw something below you so that like, you know, normally you're limited in aiming to the rays that can be drawn with a base of or an origin of duke right so like any line segment originating at duke uh outward until it hits either a target or um some type of terrain that would block your shot but the um and that that's line of sight aiming but um the pipe bomb, the tripwire bomb too, but the pipe bomb in particular lets you aim outside line of sight because it will fall down uh, and just because you can delay the detonation of it. So yeah. you can move out of line of sight. And that's why I brought up the thing about laser tripwire bombs, you needing to be up against the wall and facing the wall to place it, is that I think that's a huge part of what makes the pipe bomb more effective is that you don't need to place it on anything. Like you can throw it anywhere. So while you're backing away from an enemy, you can quickly switch to pipe bomb and throw it in between the two of you. Whereas for a tripwire bomb, you would need to have a wall next to you or you would need to run up to a wall. And so it's way more environmentally dependent. If you had, um, you know, speculatively, you could have a, laser pipe bomb that you could throw and then would put like a radius around it which would be like the proximity bombs in Goldeneye or proximity mines uh, I think that that would be a lot more effective than the tripwire bombs yeah the, I can tell just from the description that that sounds like it would be more effective as well one of my favorite uh, pipe bomb setups was on the uh it's definitely episode two where there's these cars where you put a pipe bomb in the car, deliver it to the other side, look at the camera to see it being delivered to the enemies and then watch oh, it blow yeah. up. Yeah, that's in Dark Side, I think. Dark Side, there we go. Oh man, that one that was, was that... so funny. Oh second episode. Yeah, uh <laughs> That's the monorail map. Uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, the camera setup even seems to be there specifically so that you can time it properly. Yeah. Those cameras, um, it wasn't actually part of the podcast topics, but I would say those cameras are a fairly unique feature. And this one, I would say almost exclusively Duke, because like, even games mm. that would come out after it, like, yeah, oh, uh, delayed explosives, what's the big deal about that for Duke Nukem? 
So mm. while Duke may have some of the benefits for it being one of the earlier games to have something like that for a first-person shooter, these cameras are like, I struggle to think of games following up on that idea. I think it's more of a stealth game thing. Yeah, uh, that's so true. You can turn your head. Yeah. Uh, what? It, oh, right. Um, yeah, like I would have said Deus Ex. Um, oh, right. That's okay. Yeah, you're right. That's more stealth game. Yeah, I guess in stealth games, not as unusual being able to see from other cameras what's about to come up ahead. Um, I guess just more regular action game. Yeah, no, it definitely is not the sort of feature that like springs to mind when you think of a that type of first person shooter. But it is part of I to relate it along a, a fairly oblique axis to the pipe bomb and tripwire is another aspect of outside of line of sight um action or uh like you're seeing part of the game world that is not in um Duke's immediate line of sight, which gives you uh, it gives you more of a sense, or to me at least, that the the world is persistent. That like when I go around a corner, the rest of the world still exists, um, yeah, and can still be doing something. Yeah, that and this this one is seemingly trivial, but it is still like part of what gave Duke its you know mega hit success, which was the levels feeling like real lived mostly feeling like real lived in places. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of it's very abstract. You know, you're going to have stuff like, oh, a sushi store where you jump into the, stink, the sink and there's like a whole water tunnel that leads into a pond outside. That's completely ridiculous and absurd, but I love it because it still remembers it's a video game and, hey, there's a cool secret to be had here. Right. Yeah. Um. I mean, E2 is... That's more like Doom style levels where it's like, okay, yeah, they're, they do feel, I mean, they put in interesting aspects of like what a moon base might be, you know, like crew, crew quarters and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but generally, you know, that's up to the level designer, how you're going to shape a spaceport or whatever. <laughs> right. So we were mentioning about how the projectile speeds. I think another aspect of Duke Nukem's regular gunplay that distinguishes it from Doom is kind of the reversal of its uh, major enemies. Whereas in Doom, the weak enemy is the hit scanner, and then the the more common enemy is your projectile imp. The in in Duke, however, the projectile enemy is your assault troopers. But then the other com common but more sturdier enemy are your pit cops, and then after that your enforcers. Mm. And one thing I learned from the Duke Nukem wiki, which is very interesting, but also what I would cl claim to be one of the the weaknesses of Duke, is the fact that the inf the pit cop has a low hit stun chance. It's it's like eleven percent or something like that. The enforcer is literally zero. This enemy does not have a stun animation. It does not stun. 
Mm. You can shoot it. No matter how much you shoot it, it will not stop shooting at you unless you move out of its line of sight or until it's dead. Yeah. Um, well, I think that that's especially relevant given the enforcer's like place in the enemy set. Duke has a sort of odd balance to the enemy set. Like, like you were just saying, I mean, hit the thing about like hit scan being like the core Duke attack and then projectiles are like the exception um, is that like hit scan is, unless you really screw with the damage values, which I don't think Duke does hit scan is way more dangerous to the player or like immediate and um, harder to like strategize around or respond to than projectiles are. Right. So like when that's already your core, like all your enemies are based on that. And then you've got like an, an enforcer who's sort of your main enemy, like your, your, uh, your meat enemy filling up or uh, providing the basis for most of the uh, encounters in episode two, like you've got this guy, so he's got hit scan, he's got rapid fire hit scan, um, and he's got no flinch. So, like, it's hard for Duke to respond to him defensively because hit scan, like, it's uh, just you, you can't, you can't like move to get out of the way. So, it, it doesn't really interplay that well with Duke's movement. And then you've got, like you just said, the zero hits done, which is a big source of interplay for Duke's weapons or like, um, or for Duke's weapons or dooms or whatever. Like stunning an enemy is part of the point of, or part of the reward, I guess, of shooting them or the strategy. It's just a factor to consider when you're shooting them. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's why like, Focusing shooting on one enemy to keep them stunned is sort of an important thing sometimes in these games. Um, instead of just like randomly distributing hits across lots of enemies, which would be sort of what you might end up doing if there was no interplay there at all. So with the enforcers, the fact that they don't stun and the fact that they hit scan you together makes it sort of a very low interplay enemy. So they feel like um, just immovable, like they are going to do whatever they want to do and they sort of dominate the game space while they're there. Yeah, I will say the there is one aspect of the enforcer that at the time I came to appreciate. Well, when I first saw it was... You know, when you see them jump, because that's, you know, no enemy in Doom does that. So, you know, I see it the first time. It's like, holy crap, mm. this enemy jumps. Mm. And it's also one of the faster moving enemies. But uh, combine that with some of the details we just laid out earlier. And it's like, oh boy, that makes them one of the, definitely one of the enemies where if you're in a narrow hallway with, and you don't have a weapon that can just take them out instantly like a rocket launcher, uh yeah, you you just have to accept the fact that you're just going to take some damage. Take them out as quick as you can and move on. I think it does push you towards, like, yeah, using those special weapons. The rocket launcher takes them out instantly. The shrinker, you can get them in one shot. The freeze thrower, not so useful. But, um, yeah, like, trying to fight them with normal weapons 
um, kind of feels like a losing battle. Yeah. I did not get any confirmation if the crouch was able to alter their accuracy. Um, I, 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 I hope it does. Sometimes I thinking that it does, but I can't tell. Mm. Sometimes uh, the pick cop is another where I get into this stance where I know it takes two shotgun shotgun blasts to take them out. Um, and sometimes it's just a, a roll of dice if they don't hit, if they don't stun on the first shotgun. It's just like, all right, you and me. And sometimes I crouch thinking that might throw off his shot. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's there's a funny dance that I do with the pick cops, but the pick cop can be just as much of a just as much of a crapshoot, but not as often. Use crouching and all, Shadi. Use crouching? Like yeah, do? Do you, yeah, do you crouch? Uh, not really. Only when I need to get into a tight space. Right. Does that reduce accuracy on the enemy? I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't think so, actually. I don't know. Uh, I think Civi said he doesn't know in his video. He said he does it anyway. Um, doesn't it lower I, your speed? Why would you that, crouch? Right, so that was what I was going to say. I actually use it instead of the, like, run button, because, um, well, you can toggle run so that you're um, always moving at, at the fastest speed, and then I use crouch if I want to slow down at all. So, like, it ends up being a double-purpose button that I can... Like, the actual crouching aspect of it, I don't know if that does anything in combat, but sometimes I do want to slow down uh, just to aim more precisely. Oh, I see. Hmm. Yeah, there are, some, there are a few sections, such as the, uh, there's a bar fight in the red light district. Yeah, where... I guess, I mean, yeah, you can crouch behind cover, is what you're going to say, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right, and that's, that's one example of a of the, the two unique mechanics that address verticality in Duke being the, the crouch and the jump. That was an example where the level design made use of that. And, you know, that's, that's a type of shootout you couldn't have in doom of just like, Oh, I, I crouched behind cover. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of another example in my head. Like that is something I do. Mm -hmm. I think um, in flood zone, do the buildings have railings along the, the edges? I thought they, yeah, I thought they did because I know there's a, there's some items that they put on those. Or when you jump over the them, edges. there's some items they put on them. Yeah, now, uh, there are yeah little uh, like window ledges you can jump down to, or the, there's that one sign you can jump on that has an atomic health on it. Um. But that's kind of a, I was just thinking of that stage because that's a stage where you're really exposed, like when you're on those rooftops and there are a few ambushes set up there. Um, there's one like where a wall comes down and there are three assault commanders behind it. And if you're lucky, those are the only enemies you're dealing with at that moment. Um, so that crouching in theory would be helpful i don't remember a lot of stuff to crouch behind there though i would just look for the cover in the other room in flood zone yeah i just dive in the water oh. <clears throat> i want to go in the water yeah water uh, water in that like really 3d of like full 3d movement 
is another one that uh, at first I thought was, you know, a start in Quake, but it turns out that uh, Duke beat it by a few months. Right. Um, yeah, in water, you're basically just flying. It's like um, having infinite jetpack. Mm-hmm. And people don't like it. Why? <laughs> wow. Why don't people like swimming? It's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like full 3D shooting and it's not and it doesn't uh you don't have to worry about some some of the confusingness that comes like in a descent where you can, Yeah, you're not required to play descent to get it. Yeah. No? You don't have to twist your twist yourself on the the roll axis and, and then confuse yourself as like which one's the ceiling again? <laughs> I like swimming in Quake, but not so much in Duke. I don't know. There's just something about it that feels off. Huh. Interesting. Did I thought have... it was more straightforward in Duke compared to Quake. Does it have to do with the uh, air meter at all? Yeah, I guess it's just because I feel restricted by meters and such in, in uh, Duke. But even then, I think the aiming is just easier to wrap my head around if I'm in the air and I'm shooting up and down. Verticality is still not up to, uh, up to power. So, that Ooh. actually... Um, yeah, so did you use a port that... You played an Eduke, right? Yes. Um, and did you play with the original um, software rendering or with... Um, I don't remember what the other modes are called in Eduke, but um, well, uh, I mean, the official source port calls it true 3D, but no, I use uh, software rendering, so okay. looking up and down doesn't look, so, I just look up and down, it just distorts right. uh, things. There's no vertical vanishing point. Right. Uh, okay, so that does make a huge difference with uh, when you're jetpacking around or when you're swimming, like being able to aim up and down is i mean that's dependent on the vertical perspective of the game and so in quake yeah you can do that we have real 3d rendering so yeah you can do that um and aim up and down easily but in duke if you are using an original source port as the game would be played in 1996 then you are looking at like a severely distorted picture when you aim up and down and that is that does kind of make it a bit harder to deal with think Quake, I mean, do you think Duke should be played with uh, True 3D on? Because that's the more definitive experience? Um, yeah. If I was recommending it to someone playing it today, I would definitely say yes. Use real 3D rendering. Don't, there's not, I don't think there's anything you get out of, I mean, if you're interested in a historical perspective, like I played it both ways because I wanted to see what it would have looked like in 96 or as close as I could get it. Uh, but it's like, um, if you are playing it because you want to play this like classic, fun, fast first person shooting game. Yeah. Definitely play with the 3d rendering on like a- aiming vertically is, is uh, substantially assisted by having that. And the game, you just get a better look at the entire game world, especially on a map like flood zone where that's very vertical. Um, yeah. it just uh, allows you to take better advantage of the game. I think it's just a better game altogether that way. Hmm. Okay, then. As far as the swimming combat, though, the Octobrain 
is pretty much the only major enemy mm-hmm. that you will find. And I mean, protozoid slimers can get in there, but they can't quite move through it um, effectively because it's either floor or ceiling. So if they're not on the surface of the water, they're at the bottom of whatever the body of water is when you go under. Yeah, I mean, you're not on the floor, so them being on the floor, it's a big disadvantage for them. Yeah, so the Octobrains are really the only enemies that go underwater. I have had um, uh, Predator drones, like, walk into water before, but, uh, you know, they were too low for them to be effective, except for the, uh, the boss fight, where they were getting uncomfortably close. And shooting their shrink rays at me, but that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> pig cops or assault troopers going in the water? I have never seen a pig cop go in the water. Ah, uh, yeah. No. Go swim. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll do it. Yeah, a cop likes to swim. Um, <laughs> That's funny. They'll they'll fall in there. <laughs> I mean, they're not supposed to be there. <laughs> so does that mean they just stick to the floor? No, they can be on the surface, but they, well, what? okay, I don't know. I've seen them on the surface, like, treading water, but I've also seen them on the floor, what? too. I don't, I don't think that's intentional if they do that. Yeah. In water? I don't think they tread water. No, no, They just stay on the surface, and I, I, I don't think I've ever attacked me in, uh, in the water. Mm, yeah, assault I'm troopers not... might have though. Uh, yeah, I know for a fact assault troopers and captains will attack you in the water because they'll go into like jetpack mode underwater. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that the pig cop AI might get confused when they get underwater because they seem to. I think what they try to do is get out. Because my guess is that their routing treats water as a hazard that they're supposed or their um pathfinding. Treats water as a hazard that they avoid, so when they get into that region, they probably immediately try to get out of it, and so they kind of get stuck on a wall. But yeah, octobrains are the main enemies down there. Um, I mean, there's, there's some something... sharks, but they're not. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're they're fodder. Right. Um, pipe bombs uh, interact with the water. I mean, they sink slowly in water right versus in versus the rate that they would fall to the air yeah that is a cool detail and you can even um you can use them to attack you can throw a pipe bomb into the water when you're out of it and blow it up underwater and sometimes you can clear out some enemies that way like if i'm gonna have to jump into some water blind if i'm playing a duke level uh i'm definitely gonna toss a pipe bomb in first <laughs> uh, just to make sure I've got a clear landing space. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I guess in theory, babes could be killed that way, but take my chances. <laughs> oh yeah, if you do, yeah, that does a uh, summon octobrains whenever you do that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. How, I thought it was scripted where sometimes it does, but I also was pretty good about never killing babes, so I didn't see it too often. There's one in the subway level, which I, I don't know why I can't think of the name of that right now. Um, there's one ambush in the subway level where there's like a ton of explosives and then a battle lord spawns in behind you 
as you're walking towards explosives and there's shades uh right where the explosives are and so it's super hard to prevent him from blowing all that shit up and that does spawn in a whole bunch of octobrains or something Mm -hmm. those uh those particular explosives are also uh quite uncommon and they seem to use it uh, less for... I mean, there is a setup in the first level where you shoot a yellow tank and you can blow up some enemies. So Duke uh, kind of kept that you know TNT idea from Doom going on. Mm. But not as frequent. <laughs> there are eventually more sections where uh, they're more there to hinder you or keep you from uh, saving the babes than uh, as a tool against the enemies. Although you can still use them that way. It's just, you know gonna have to kill the babe to do it yeah i think that the alien the alien canister ones that show up in e2 for whatever reason maybe it's just because it's from e2 on they seem to be used more like traps whereas like blowing up a fire hydrant not a fire hydrant you can do that but they don't blow up the fire extinguishers in E1 can usually be used somehow advantageously. Yeah, why those are explosive, I don't know, but whatever, it's cool. Highly pressurized. (laughs) I guess, yeah. Right, it's not a good understanding of (laughs) what would happen if you shot a fire extinguisher. I don't think. I guess I'd never tried it either. Right. Close enough is probably what they thought. Yeah. It looks red and scary. And it's cool. Yeah. Well, the other aspect of the Octobrain is that they, they're they kind of like the cacodemon of this game. You know, a flying enemy, relatively beefy, and it fires a big, meaty projectile. Yeah. These are a lot stronger, their projectile. Wait, yeah. which one's stronger? Octobrain projectile. Octobrain projectile. Yeah, they yeah, can get... They can kill you pretty fast, right? Yeah, yeah. Their their projectile hurts a lot. Does it have limited bite, range? Though. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they bite. I don't know. I don't think there are any enemies that have a, a melee attack. There's just the enforcers in that weird bit they do. Yeah, enforcers yeah. spit on you. Oh, and the the protector drones, but they're. They're funny because I remember commenting while I was playing Duke that, hey, this game doesn't have an equivalent to the, uh, you know, Pinky. Uh, and it only takes them until the fourth episode to have a sort of melee-based enemy, which is the Protector Drones. Oh, yeah. They're also yeah. the only one that doubles as a, a Shrink Ray enemy. Ugh. Yeah, the the fact that they have the Shrink Projectile makes them kind of different. But aside from that, I would have said that they're sort of like Hell Knights or Barons of Hell. They're so agile. Yeah. Yeah, they're fast. They're fast and they jump. Maybe they're more like fiends from Quake. Oh, yeah. That's a comparison. Yeah. They don't jump as their primary form of movement, but they do jump. So they jump over stuff like the, uh, the guardrails in the lines for Babeland. They'll jump over that. Right. And they're faster than you, or at least as fast as you. Yeah. I, well, I don't know if they can out... I don't think they're as fast. Oh, really? 
It's possible. Uh, I, they're they're the fastest enemy, though, aren't they? Yeah, that's that's correct. They they are the fastest. If I recall, the pinkies are not the fastest in in Doom. It's the archviles. The archviles are the fastest thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so that that's interesting in that uh, one of the, you know, one of the major enemies that makes you know the, the gunplay of what, of Doom what it is, which is your pinky demon. Duke doesn't quite have that, so it is way more like, shoot, shoot strictly shooter enemy focused until episode mm. four, mm. and that enemy is more uncommon given that it's a, well, let's just say it's a higher tier than whatever tier you would put a pinky in. Yeah, that was what made me think of Barons of Hell, but yeah, it's probably um it's not that similar functionally to them. Um but actually now that you're saying that we were comparing the you know the weapon set to Doom as well. Um Doom Guy has a chainsaw, which is a pretty effective melee weapon, and the Berserk Fist, both of which are you know, they're last resort weapons, but they're both viable. I mean, they do a lot of damage, and you can use them safely if you are if you know what you're doing. Um, whereas Duke does not have any, like, melee for the character either, really. I mean, there's the kick, but that doesn't really do enough damage to kill an enemy. Yeah. It's boops and cleats as a power-up. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weak <laughs> kick. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> cleats is a power. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you can get golf cleats. <laughs> really fucking hurt. <laughs> yeah, or maybe he can wear some some uh the ice skate shoes and just basically oh, have. Oh yeah, ice. He'll have knives on his feet. <laughs> uh, now I want to see that mod. That's all ice levels, and you have ice skates, and you have a super powerful kick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so a on a fun fact because I did not know this about steroids, because I didn't use them that much. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They amplify <laughs> your kick strength. And do that? Yeah. I didn't know they mm-hmm. did that. So it's like you're, car- you're sort of carrying a berserk pack on you, but you just it's just not as obvious, because it's like, oh, Duke runs faster, so I guess that means his leg is stronger. Um, I mean that honestly it makes more sense than running fast. Yeah, but get this, there's there's another one that's even crazier. It is also a counter to you being shrunk. Yeah, I knew that. I did not know that. <laughs> I would not there's there's even less of a relate relation to that one. I know steroids make you big and strong. So if you're a tiny little guy, you should take lots of steroids and then you'll get big and strong like Duke Newcomb. Okay. <laughs> Okay, okay, that that that's fun. That's funny, but that that is, uh, yeah. I guess that makes enough sense. It's not related to the speed function or the core function of the item, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's very <laughs> that that is a very specific situation in order to discover that function. Yeah. Now I was resisting when I was watching you play E4. I was resisting telling you that. I was like, damn it, he's never ever going to figure this out on his own. But also, you don't really need it at all to get through. Like, mm-hmm. um, the only real use for it, because the only time you're going to get shrunk that you don't want to is probably going to be the protector drones. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's one of those features that's more relevant in multiplayer. Because um, oh. when other 
when other players have a shrinker, um, you need some kind of counter to it. As far as other enemies, we know there's the Assault Commander, not Trooper Commander, uh, and he is your rocket launcher enemy, who also doubles as a flying enemy, so I don't think, uh, yeah, there's not really anything like that in Doom, so. To be honest, though. Functionally speaking, I think the Assault Commanders are more the Kako Demons of Duke than the Octobrains are. You think so? Uh, yeah, because Assault Commanders fly around more. Like, Octobrains sort of just hang out on the ground. It could just be the type of levels that they're placed in, but Assault Commanders... Like, for instance, Occupied Territory, there's that part where you're crossing the big room with the giant shutters on either side, and you cross the threshold of the room, and there's, uh, like, a bunch of assault commanders way above you that are shooting down at you. Um, whereas, like, Octobrains don't ever really seem to attack you from above. Mm. Which is what Cacodemons are mostly functional for in Doom. Or maybe that's Doom 2, but still. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that it's an explosive projectile is a little different. But they also um, eat... A, I think they've got better health than the Octobrains. Oh, yeah, they do. They're... they're they... uh, is, is it third or fourth? I remember they're like the third or fourth highest. Okay. And they're definitely, they don't have that weakness against the Devastator, so there's no way to, well, you can still shrink them, but there's no way to one-hit kill them, really. Yeah. So the Assault Commanders, they're, uh, they're not quite barren of hell. They're more like, I guess like a hybrid between uh, a Kaka Demon and the uh, Cyber Demon, since the Cyber Demon is the only thing that shoots rocket launchers in a doom um they have a melee attack though speaking of yeah that weird spin thing <laughs> they've got like little blades on the edge of their hover board yeah they're little saucer they make they, they remind me of a uh, of crew from jack 2 i know it's a very specific reference but that's just what they uh, like. i i actually um, now that I'm thinking about it, I have another super specific reference that no one gets. They are like Baron Harkonnen from Dune, uh, from 1984 or 82 or whatever. Um, but yeah, no one knows what that means. <laughs> yeah. So that's the Assault Commander, uh, another heavy flying type enemy. After that, uh, of course, one of my least favorites is the Battlelord Sentry. Uh, you know, it's funny because the drones are like the easy target for people to say what's their least favorite enemy in Duke. And mm -hmm. yeah, there's there's some points against them. Like, oh, they specifically programmed to dodge projectiles. Okay, no other enemy does that, but these motherfuckers do. Mm -hmm. They self-destruct on you. So it's not even like a lost soul where you can at least have the satisfaction of killing the fucker. It's like he, he hits you and then leaves like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and of course, because it's explosion, they do a lot of damage when they do that. So even if Lost Souls, at their most annoying, they're not going to damage you that much, but these guys do. And then on top of that, they're also one of the tankier enemies in the game, which is not how a Lost Soul is in Doom. It's like a Lost Soul is weaker than an Imp, but here you basically have like an armored Lost Soul that also blows up when it rams into you. I think Lost Souls have more, in, uh, more HP than an Imp, but yeah, they're not particularly strong either way. Oh, wait, is that... Oh, wow, okay, I got that wrong then. I don't, I don't remember the health values in Doom. <laughs> Well, the thing is, though, that with the drones, well, okay, so the, the drones are interesting because that's a case where I think, like, the level design does more um, for your the player's response to an enemy than necessarily the mechanical design of the enemy. Because I actually, I like drones a lot. Um, I, I found them really frustrating the first time I played, and then the second time I played through, and I sort of already had the hang of, like what this enemy is going to do about how many shots with any given weapon it takes to get rid of them. My accuracy was better at that point. Cause I just practiced the game some more like uh, coming at them uh, that time. I was like, well, this is actually kind of a fun enemy to fight. Cause there's a lot of interplay to it. Like they do stun very frequently. Right. Unlike a lot of the doom enemies. Uh, so you get that good feedback when you hit them from a shotgun kind of slows them down. And then the the Ripper, you can almost hold them in place with uh, when you focus that on them. <clears throat> and you need to, because if you miss a couple shots, then they'll be moving straight at you in no time. Uh, and they're very fast. And then um, the fact that they dodge, like, rocket projectiles doesn't necessarily mean that that weapon is useless against them. It just means that you need to be a little bit trickier when you use it, like... Uh, shooting at the area around them to try to hit them with the explosion. Or if you're really good, you can get them to dodge into one, um, even though that tends to be difficult to do. But, like, there are ways. It's not a pure immunity, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, there are ways to technically get around it. Yeah. Um, I was, and... uh, yeah. I, I forgot to finish my point because uh, I was using the drone to say, oh, this is the what people would say is the annoying enemy Duke, but for me, kind of like what you were saying, I did get used to them, because they are still manageable, because for yeah. me, the most annoying enemy is not the drones, it's the fucking Battle Lord sentries. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you find your way to deal with the drones, and uh, also the Duke Nukem wiki confirms what I thought, they have a 100% hit stun chance. Which is yeah. hilarious because the robots. It's like, what do you, what do you, <laughs> whatever. Well, just um, to to quickly finish my point about drones uh, and level design is that like in E two, the way that drones are used is very annoying because right. they're always in groups. It's like here's six drones in a closet or something, or like here's a God uh, a door opens and it's right there. Yeah, Warp Factor loves, like, here's two drones, the Alan Bloom thing, here's two drones on opposite sides of you when you enter a room. Yeah. Uh, that level or, literally opens like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the first thing that happens. Good luck if you're uh, doing a pistol start. Uh, and 
so yeah and like you said then they're the ones that uh are just right there when you open a door or whatever so that's frustrating but that's the on the level designer that's not really the the drone that's irritating and Mm -hmm. i find that in e3 when drones are used less sparingly and more just in the mix of enemies in general they're like a nice mix-up enemy that uh requires you to quickly adapt uh like in la rumble you're on a small rooftop and a couple of drones uh show up and you don't really have any easy way to back away from them there's other enemies there putting pressure on you uh so it's like uh it just sort of re rearranges your tactics trying to deal with them uh and prevents you from going into pure turtle mode um so like they they can and i think often are used well in the game it's just they get a bad rap because they are tough i mean it's a hard enemy and they are used annoyingly or, or in a cheap and obnoxious way sometimes which is something that like really that can happen with any enemy um, yeah <clears throat> there's certainly times where doom is very frustrating with stuff like that mm-hmm. by comparison i don't think there's anything you can do with level design to uh, <laughs> alter how frustrating it is to fight a battle lord because it's like unless because it's just like find a wall to, it's almost like fighting a shambler where it's just like hide behind the wall <laughs> Peekaboo, yeah. take your shots, hide back in, wait for him to do his uh, chain gun volley because there is a timer for when he stops. Um, and there's also a little bit of a timer when he starts up. Uh, but for some of those surprises where it's just like, oh, he's, you open a door, it's like, oh, there's a battle lord right there. It's like, hey, mm. time to lose like 80 points of health because you have high damage rapid fire hit scan wet enemy from a enemy that also has high health and it's just like damn that is a devastating combo it's it's like it's like imagine having a a a spider mastermind just pop up in the middle of the level right yeah we talked about that a little bit before where like they do use spider masterminds in regular levels in doom 2 but they're not like, oh, here's a spider mastermind in an arena with eight other enemies that you have to fight. Like they're always placed in some specific way that makes you, you don't fight the spider mastermind directly. So it's like in, in Gotcha, there's the in fight with the cyber demon. In the Crusher, there's the Crusher. In um, Barrels of Fun, uh, there's one who's surrounded by a bunch of arachnitrons uh, and you can uh, set up an infight with him there. And that's also an area where you specifically have like an exit door that blocks it off after you leave. So you don't need to worry about him surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Doom or Sandy Peterson at least is aware of the fact that like you fighting a spider mastermind face to face in an open arena where he has line of sight is not something that the player can do or, or it's not something that like is it's just a damage race and the stats are stacked way against you in the damage race and there's not that's not really gameplay 
<laughs> so like the spider mastermind is used specifically as an enemy that you can't fight <laughs> yeah which is what makes it cool um but the battle lord uh, not only do they show up a lot but they show up in pairs very frequently um the occupied territory has a bunch has three of them i think that show up in one room the room that has his picture on the door so you do kind of know it's coming there um there's one level in e2 where like right at the exit there's like a bridge you have to cross and there's two battle lords right across right on the opposite end of the bridge you can't even use the shrinker in that setting because they're too far away from you to get to that actually, that might also be occupied territory. That might be the end of occupied territory. But yeah, I mean, an enemy that just constantly fires hit scan. What is that? <laughs> yeah, and with that much, and it has the highest health of the the enemy roster. So <clears throat> you know, you gave a <laughs> it's a you know spider mastermind. Uh, but and I remember when Destiny did his tier list. Why was the Spider mm. Mastermind so low? Well, it's because in almost every situation that they put it, you're at the advantage. Right. Whereas here, nope. And it's incredibly... This is the thing that made me begin thinking about like save systems for first-person shooters, because you don't want to go 15 minutes into a level only to have your entire health pool shredded in less than two seconds. And it's like, what in the fuck? Shaddy, what's your saving routine when you play Duke? Oh, I don't save scum. That's what you're wondering. Well, I mean, do you save at the beginning of every map? Oh, yeah. Uh, it auto-saves at the beginning of every map, so if I lose, I just go back then. Okay, so you, you keep your save from the end of the last map and then load. Um, right. Because when I watch Adrian play, Adrian was not <laughs> I was doing very... those... He was doing like like selective saving. Right. If if I saw a moment where it could be fucked up, I would save, but otherwise I I took the loss if I didn't see it coming and didn't save and then would pistol start the level, which uh yeah. three and four were way better for pistol starts. Episode two with those drones, not so much because you literally didn't have enough bullets to kill the fuck all the fucks. Yeah. So that definitely has an effect on... Well, I mean, it just has an effect on the experience of the game. Um, like, from, I do the same thing as Shouty. I save at the beginning of each map. I don't do... I mean, I don't do safe scumming, but the thing is, like, in E2, the maps are so long. They're all, like, 30 minutes long to get through. Uh, that to me, it feels crazy that the designers would not expect you to save mid-level there. Like, I would think that they're expecting the player to just be saving all the time. And that's why they're a little bit casual about, like, oh, we just suddenly killed you with two Battle Lords. They're like, I think that the designers would put that on the player and say, well, you should probably save more often if you're getting frustrated by stuff like that. Um, which, yeah, I mean, no one likes that answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's a word document. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> right. It's, 
it's a game. I'm trying to take a challenge, a set challenge that I understand and beat it. I'm not just trying to get to the end of it without losing ever. Like that's, uh, <laughs> that's not, there's nothing fun about it. There's nothing game-like about that. <laughs> I want to be able to lose and I want to be able to like take those loses in stride. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, it's the large maps that really signal signal me towards like I think they probably expected you to be saving mid map. <clears throat> right. I know the way Golem plays is uh, uh, he didn't play in 3D, but whenever we've played first person shooters, his rule of thumb is anytime there's a key card, I don't remember if he saves at the key or at the lock, uh, but he saves at those, which is a way of basing it on something in game, you know, instead of just arbitrarily saving every five minutes or something. That's a, yeah, that's, that's definitely more than I would be saving. Yeah, I think it's a lot, but he also hates playing first person shooters. So he does that. So he can just get to the end of the game. <laughs> is, is Golem even good at circle strafing? <laughs> um, well, I think first of all, he plays everything with a game pad. Oh, and then that should be easy. Well, no, I guess he didn't. I guess he was setting up Quake with a gamepad after we played it. He likes Quake. I mean, the the thing is, when we played Quake multiplayer, like, yes, he was the weakest of all of us, but not like so substantially weaker that it was like, oh, this person should be able to play these games at all. Oh, he he can still finish these games. I'm willing to bet. Yeah, I mean, he finished the Doom games. Mm -hmm. Um. And I just for whatever reason, there's a lot of things design wise he just doesn't like. <clears throat> yeah, and and that, which is funny because um, and this might uh, this actually could get to the next topic about how the destructible environments affect level design. The more I get, the more open multi path level design of Duke Nukem, or at least where they occur, was initially very appealing, or it left a really good impression. The high amount of interaction with the environments, uh, some of which there's more interactivity in these environments in a 1996 game than games that would come out 20 years at, or yeah, 20 years after it, which is like, that puts some modern games to shame. Um, right. You know, left a good impression on me, but uh, with a lot of the stuff that we've been recently talking about, there has been some sloppier aspects. It's like, mm, some of that favorability has waned a bit, and uh, I'd actually still say that there's a lot of Doom that I can still appreciate that well, I actually appreciate more, and I can understand more why people were uh, see it as a you know the classic that it is, uh, compared to to some of the things that are in Duke. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a million reasons why it's tricky to compare something made 20 years ago to something or 25 years ago to something made today. But um, I think that just at the heart of what you're saying is that games today cost more money to make and are made by more people and are made more conservatively and generally have a lot more testing that's done a lot more like uh, iterations of everything that's done they don't uh you know you don't turn out a game in six months anymore um so that gives you a lot more time to be like here's version one of this level version 1.1 1.2 of this level like so everything 
goes through a lot more editing, basically. And so that can take away some of the novelty and some of the, like, more inspired choices that you get in the older games, but then also can polish off some of the, like, here's six drones in a closet right after you start the level type stuff. Where it's like when you have like uh, 15 people on the level design team or 30 people, someone's going to be like, hey, Randy, this is fucking stupid. (laughs) Don't start the level this way. And then the boss can be like, well, no one likes this, so we're going to change it. Yeah. It's it's so funny because uh, Duke in particular, there's a they actually made like a whole game that people called Lame Duke. That's like uh, and with com- almost all the levels in that are not in the final game. There's only like right. a handful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, which is funny to think. It's it's so different. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, they would just make levels and throw them away. And E4 is all reject levels from the original development. Oh, wow. I didn't know that was the story behind them. <laughs> yeah. environments I don't there's not as much to cover uh, the beefier topics we kind of went through which were mostly weapon enemy design and they've been touching on level design as it is so with destructible environments it's just to say hey this is another thing that's different from doom you can blow mm-hmm. up pieces of the environment that's cool that's always fun to see uh, and it's a nice spectacle and it damages <laughs> the enemies too and it's another way of doing secret design well I think that um like, just for the cool factor, when you talk about that, um, like, the environment is the part of the game that's not really game-like. There's not, like, a lot of interplay to the environment, <clears throat> right? It's just, like, your static element. So that's why, like, it feels cool when now you can blow stuff up because it's like, well, every wall now... Uh, responds to what not every wall I mean it's not red faction but uh, walls can respond to explosive too or like I can a trash can I can either walk on it or I can break it Um, like these things that were passive or static in the geometry before become relevant and just directly to the type of gameplay you're the, the type of action that you're already doing but it's still cool to like it just makes the game feel more alive. Yeah. Having that there. It's it's fun to interact with stuff. It's <clears throat> and you know it's kind of like cutting grass in Zelda. It's like, "Oh, here's a thing that was literally <laughs> in my way and it's fun to make it not in my way." Like Yeah. It seems trivial, but no, that's actually a meaningful interaction. And it goes to, you know, being able to break garbage cans, fire hydrants, and of course, the the walls of the specific sections of the levels actually do blow up. Yeah, um, so it's neat. And then the other aspect to it is that it's sort of a different way of, like you you said with the secrets, it's like a different way of navigating through the map or the map as a network or the map as maze or whatever, uh, where it's a 
different type of lock basically that is opened by a the well the key isn't any type of explosive so there's an entire class of keys that opens this type of lock yeah and you know when you find things like oh i can open a different pathway or you know something's like the uh, i think it's the sushi restaurant in episode three you know that's that's you know it's cool and also things like, oh, you break a vent and then you can go into the air vent and then find another way to go into the same room and fight the enemies that are in there. It's like, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even think about the vents being destructible, but that is just a different type of door there, basically. As far as inventory, we've actually been touching on them uh, here and there throughout the podcast. Of course, the main mm. thing is... Well, I, I find out that Duke is actually not special in this. Apparently, Heretic and Hexen both do this. But it's the idea of basically having power-ups that you can carry with you and then use whenever you want. Like in Quake, where it's like, if there's a quad damage, you use it as soon as you pick it up. Whereas in Duke, uh, things like uh, particularly night vision goggles... Um, where you can go into dark areas and you're not limited to the location of the night go vision goggles that you find, you can turn them on and off as you need them. Yeah, I think that there's two really big impacts of that. The first is the like the on and offness of it means that they can use those um it means a player can use it for a small amount of time or for a long amount of time. Like their variable length, uh, like the player can manage the ammo for it or the, <clears throat> the energy for it. And so that means like you can have one dark room without needing to have like a huge long section of a level that's dark for the night vision goggles to be relevant. Like in Doom you wouldn't really see that because um, like the player needs to, as soon as the player gets the night vision goggles, the next 90 seconds or whatever after that are the only time that that's going to be relevant. Um, and so the second follow on from that is that it means that those items can be placed way out of the way in levels or they can be put in secrets or in optional areas that the player might miss and come back to later um, without the player missing out on the opportunity to use them. So like the classic thing that happens in Quake that just drives me nuts is I find a secret area, I uh, go through all these like paths and platforming or something. I get a quad damage at the end of it. And then I backtrack to where the rest of the level is. And the quad damage is gone by the time I get there. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. They put them way out of the way. And then it makes it very difficult to actually make any use of them. Like you need to heavily route around when I'm going to do secrets which seems like it's the opposite of what the point of secret should be. Um, whereas in Duke, like you overlook something like that, but then you come back, you backtrack for it, and then you get a jetpack or something, and you still got a hundred percent jetpack for whenever you get back to the point in the level where you need it. So it's like it's way more backtracking friendly, is what I'm saying, I guess. Mm -hmm. With some of the other inventory, well, we already mentioned the uh, the steroids. Uh, 
Right. Not the one I use the not exactly the one I use the most. No. The Hollow Duke is literally broken. Actually, I think it only works on one enemy as intended. But according to the Duke Wiki, it it just doesn't work, which unfortunate because it is a unique item, but it doesn't work. <laughs> right. It can like block them, and that's about it. Yeah, it's somewhere in the same neighborhood as the invisibility sphere from Doom, where it's like. Well, actually, the invisibility sphere is more like they it does something, but it doesn't do the thing you would expect it to do. And it's not super useful and can actually be counterproductive. So I guess I only compare them in the sense that it feels like an item that they wanted to have in the game, didn't figure out how to implement, and then decided to include the incomplete version anyway. The other ones aren't even really inventory items. Like, the other ones are all automated. Yeah, scuba and protective boots. Um, but, you know, the protective boots are still still good for going on, like, the, the toxic slime. Right. Uh, yeah. And, of course, scuba for extending your time <clears throat> underwater before taking damage. So those are always worthwhile to find. Yeah, those are more like um, like if you took a Doom power-up and then you said the timer is only active when the player needs it. And yeah. so the timer starts as soon as the player gets to the point where they need it. Yeah, so you get way more mileage out of it compared to the, uh, the diving one in Quake where it's like, okay, so you can go underwater but only for like the next 50 seconds or however long yeah, it is. Another, yeah, another one that, that suffers that same problem. Yeah. And of course, uh, the most vers- the next most versatile after the night vision goggles is the jetpack. And man, you can just like skip parts of the game with that thing. Yeah, it's probably one of the coolest coolest additions yet. Yeah, the jetpack definitely, and you get a quite a bit of energy for it, so you can really milk it for quite a while. Yeah, and lastly is the uh, the the med- portable med kit. Obvious right. what the the benefits of that is. Yeah, same thing. Uh, like once again, it's something that you can find way out of the way and still make use of, even if you don't need it right now. So, yeah. So, so it's really like the jetpack, the first aid kit, and the night vision are like the real important ones. Are the ones you get a lot of usage out of, and then like the steroids. Eh. Uh, they're they're really short term, and then the other ones are more just background inv- automated things. They really the fact that you can select them in your inventory is actually a little bit silly because you can't use them from the inventory. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yep, that about covers the the inventory, and we covered the way that they affect the level design particularly where the level isn't so restricted to oh, this is the section where you use the, the the boots, you know. Right, right. It does, it favors a more undirected sort of level, which I guess, uh, you know, if you consider what type of game would normally have an inventory in it, you'd more expect that in an RPG, something like Breath of the Wild or... Um, you know, uh, more contemporary to Duke, something like Diablo. 
uh, or Ultima Underworld, maybe, where you do have a large inventory of items because it's uh, there's usually like more types of items, larger maps, more uh, player freedom in which uh, where to go first. Uh, so the need for having something on demand or that it's pretty important to have items on demand versus if you were to use them when you pick them up, they would just be totally irrelevant. Larger spaces, I guess. Any last thoughts that you wanted to add? Um, not really. Um, just I guess to sum up, Duke, for me, um, I enjoyed it a lot. I think that the <clears throat> I think. Oh, actually, you know what? Um, this is a bit of a summing up in and of itself. But um, Another thing we didn't mention because for us it wasn't that relevant is that Duke is the first, as far as I can find, but certainly the first uh, very relevant shooter that has circle strafing. Um, Doom has strafing, but you can't turn and strafe at the same time in Doom, which is the nature of circle strafing. So uh, in modern source ports of Doom, that's always added. Uh, so most people that are playing that probably wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. But um, from the original perspective, Duke is the first one where you could turn and strafe at the same time. Um, so that uh, adds some... It's kind of hard to like exactly qualify where that affects the game. It's just sort of a universal feature. Yeah, so I wanted to mention that. So, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the summary of, of Duke that I was going to say is that it's really the, the first or the earliest uh, really significant game that has all of the the full modern FPS moveset. It's got jump, it's got crouch, it's got circle strafe, it's got vertical aim, it's got uh, walk and run. That's something that actually kind of goes away eventually. Um, or, no, I mean, games still have sprint. It's just that it's usually limited in some way these days. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that makes it feel... It's got that a real nice wide breadth of mechanics. It's got explosive weapons that are um, much more... Uh, we'll cover a wider span of mechanics in the pipe bomb, the tripwire, and the RPG, and that are, are much more usable because of the vertical aim that, like I talked about. So, like, there's lots of, of really cool mechanical stuff you can do. The level design is, uh, like, the, the real places, or the real settings are interesting. It's highly interwoven, um, which tends to be um, a, a good thing. Um, it, it makes it feel less like a dungeon. Uh, some of the E2 maps maybe still feel like dungeons, but um, in general, it, it just feels less dungeony. Um, and yeah, so so that and then there's there's some cool enemies um, in general. The enemy set uh, definitely a downgrade from Doom, um, even a downgrade from Quake. I would say 
but they, I think, more or less get the job done. And the most frustrating parts of it are usually things that you can work around. It's like even when the design isn't perfect, um, the breadth of mechanics ends up saving you from it. So that's, the, for instance, your shrink ray against the battle lords. It's like they're annoying, but whatever. I've got a way to edit them out of the game myself. Yeah, that especially towards that second part, because um, I, I as far as my summary, I would probably, I feel. I probably would give the edge over to uh, Duke over Quake, um, just for that reason, and because Battlelord's probably you know least favorite enemy, but there's at least the shrink way to the shrink way to deal with them. Right. Whereas I just I I can't make fighting, you know, my fifth Shambler fawn. I get sick of them well before the end of the first episode playing on a mm. uh, hard difficulty. Uh, so I just get. It's like I'm not even finished with this first episode, and I'm sick of seeing these guys because it's just not interesting to fight them. So that's why I'm like, I think I'll give it over to to Duke as far as the one that, uh, as the one that I overall ended up enjoying more, even though it had as many uh, questionable design elements to it. At least here, I was able to work around what I found were some of the the worst ones to me. Yeah, I I think that um. Yeah, it, if I were to go to length of comparing it to Quake, it'd be like, Quake is a game... Quake doesn't have a, a ton of depth, necessarily, but Quake is a game with, like, real focused, nuanced mechanics, where it's like, the way that the nail gun works is actually um, pretty cool and not something that you see very often. But, like... Um, it's also very focused on this uh, narrow band of, like, all the weapons are essentially still sort of the same thing. Um, whereas uh, in Duke, you can use things in lots of weird and unusual ways. Mm -hmm. Duke, Duke certainly had the, the more creative arsenal at time. Yeah, I think that the... Like the grenade launcher is the only thing that gives me pause about Canary comparing the two because i do really like the grenade launcher yeah I, I do too it's like if you could give me pipe bombs and the grenade launcher then i'd be happy yeah and i'm glad i and i'm and i did i am glad for the commune that it uh gave me a good reason to uh actually we weren't even going to commune this game i actually played duke just out of my own interest but i am glad that it it became a uh, podcast when we decided we weren't going to do Pokemon Conquest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's it's good. We had a good conversation tonight. Um, and in general, the fact that you guys have been playing along helps me get a lot of, more out of the game as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we focused on it as well. Yeah. And I'll be interested in seeing how my our FPS journey continues with Hexen. Till then. Uh, indeed. Yeah. Till then.